someone is in a jocular mood. A challenge! Jock is right, for it is me, Mithril Dick the Magnificent. Oh, that is quite a title. Yes, it is. I earned this title in the field of battle. <laughs> the battle of the sevenfold slaughtered peasants in which I got half of the bastards. It was very brave and very noble. Yes? I gotta just say, the title you have makes you seem like a Shadow of Mordor boss. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny those rumours. But I am Mithril Dick the Magnificent! Yeah, yeah. I had my penis cut off in a duel. Oh! A duel with my hated enemy, the arch bastard of Clunge Heap Keep! He cut my penis off during the traditional dick measuring portion of our legendary encounter, the seven day duel, in which we dueled for six whole days. I was going to say that makes your name seem like a little uh, not connected to your situation, but I'm guessing you got a new one put in its place that's made of mithril? It was an incredible coincidence, actually, yes. Uh, three weeks before the duel, I thought it would be totally cool if my friends would refer to me as mithril dick. Then my cock gets cut off and replaced with a mithril dick. Well, the knob goblin of Ding Dong Dingus said it was mithril, and that if... Uh, Anything looks like silver paint flaking off, Mithril just totally does that. Here's the thing, if you'd gotten it replaced with a Mithril one sooner, maybe it would have been strong enough to resist being cut off in the duel, and that might have impacted the final result of the fight. And were that the case, my lopped-off lollipop would not be in the hands of the arch bastard who has kept oh, no. my salty sea biscuit as a tumescent trophy. They say it remains as rock hard as it was the day we touched tips. Oh, what a what a what a tale you've taken us oh, on today. Uh, he took my tail, did the arch bastard, keeps threatening to feed it to his pet dragon, Stephen Matthewson. Well, well, look, even if he does, you don't need it. You've got the magnificent mithril dick now. You've, you're better than you were before. You've come back stronger. <laughs> yes, then I shall claim many lives in the name of my god, Honkus. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Mithril Dick. Sorry, Mithril Dick yeah. uh, just dropped by. Uh, by the way, uh, in a completely related note, I'd like to just say that uh, we talked last week about my ADHD meds not working. Um, <laughs> I've got a new batch. They worked in the wrong way. That is to say, I have a document open on my phone. It's saved right above... The sad Bertha document from last week. It's simply <laughs> called Mithril Dick the Magnificent. I've written extensive lore when I had other things to do. I wrote extensive lore for a, a, an intellectual property I'm calling Stephanie Sterling's Panties and Fantasies. There's a lot of it. Honestly, I think that your meds are working perfectly because this was... I, I feel brought into a world today. I, I feel enlightened on, on this world building. Mm -hmm. And, oh, beautiful, wonderful. I'm here for it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I look forward to the many YouTube lore breakdowns. Maybe Varty Vidya could look into the, the history of, of... Like, there's a whole religious pantheon. You know, Hunkus, father of battles, is not the only one. Very cool god. Forearms. 
uh, scimitar in one, spear in the other, axe in another, and the fourth one is just constantly jacking off his unsatisfied penis. So, lots of lore to look forward to for those uh, who want to contribute to the Kickstarter for uh, Panties and Fantasies. How's everyone else? I have got to get me some attention deficit drugs. (laughs) (laughs) You on those would be... uh... No, see, here's the thing. If you took them, all you would be... you You would be in a very different place to where we are when we have them. Like, they they do something special for ADHD that, uh... It can be a bit of a journey. If you're neurotypical, all you're doing is taking speed. It's what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, oh, you're just taking yeah. speed. So what you're telling me is I need to take some speed. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> some right. more speed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. So, hey, welcome to Podquisition. It's a video game podcast. We're here to talk about video games. We've probably yeah. played some of them this week. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we did. Oh. We did. I know there's a massive one that y'all uh, oh. uh, almost as massive as Effie's Big Gay Brunch, uh, where I'm making my Liverpool debut on May 12th this Friday. But enough about that. Why <laughs> don't we have a breath of fresh air of the yeah. wild TM? Yeah. <laughs> so by the time this goes up, Tears of the Kingdom will be out in some countries. It will mm-hmm. be starting to roll out. Conrad, do you want to talk about this first? Because you have played considerably less, and I feel like your opinion could be summed up probably fairly quickly. Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm about 90 <laughs> minutes in. Um, I really I really do like the Zelda series approach to tutorial. I think the introduction of the sort of basic construction elements are really really well done it's very smooth without being ponderous or tedious i like the drama that is unfolded in the 90 minutes that i've played i think that's pretty well done um i uh i'm already lost yeah i'm impressed thank you it's a gift (laughs) In in the opening area of the game, it's tutorializing you for what you're going yeah. to do shortly thereafter in that you are presented with a building you can't get in until you have gone to three other places and done things there. It's, it's your great plateau. You've got to go do the shrines before we give you the paraglider and you can go escape. Sure. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a slightly less than the extent to which I played Breath of the Wild. <laughs> to, to be fair yeah. um i did you know get off the great plateau and i did go do some shrines out there it is a game that i have an appreciation for and no interest in playing it's a little too free with what it allows me to do in that it's not yeah. giving me necessarily enough direction yeah and that's a me thing if you're into that God love you. I think that that's great, and I'm glad you're getting it. This is, from what I have played so far, more of the same. It's introducing new ideas, and those ideas are interesting, and there's a lot of of potential there that I will never experience, because I made it through the first shrine and got the new ability and looked around where to go next, and... Now, I think Laura and I will argue about what is a clear <laughs> indicator as to where to go next. 
point is, I went the other way. Yeah. And and now actually like I can visualize, I can see where the <laughs> not not the next place to go, but where I came from, I can see it. And yeah. I'm saying to myself, nah, no. I'm not going all the way back there. This took me fucking forever. I just spent 40 minutes getting to here. I mean, you can just teleport back to that shrine. You can just open the map and teleport to it. Oh, I suppose mm, there is no, a fast not... travel system, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you can do that that early, actually. Yeah, I may you not be to, able yeah. to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's fair. Yeah. And, and it's not, you know, again, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like, for people who haven't played it, like, to talk in vague terms, Conrad did the first shrine, which gets you to assemble a mechanical device of some kind and use it in a certain way. And when you walk out of that shrine, there are the pieces to do that again, to use it the same way, sort of, right in front of the shrine. And Conrad's like, eh, I'm just gonna go over there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, and I recognized it. I knew it was there. I mean, I knew what it was before I went into the shrine and got the ability. Yeah, it does, it's, it's not subtle, it's not about, subtle what it about what it is. <laughs> um, but for some reason, it didn't connect with me yeah. that even I, though I had just yeah. done the thing in the shrine, that it actually wanted me to yeah. just do it again. And and I will say, like, this is a difference between, say, the Great Plateau in Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom's equivalent, is that Breath of the Wild, and I'll, I'll sort of get into this in a minute, but, like, I think this this game's big difference from Breath of the Wild is it does at times have linear set pieces it wants you to do in a certain order placed within its very open world. But this is, you know, Breath of the Wild was like, there are four shrines you can see from the first tower, go do them in whatever order you want, there's no intended order, there's no easiest order, do whatever. Whereas here, they very much want you in it in the tutorial to be like you get a thing you use the thing you just got to go to, to the very obvious new place and do these in a set escalating order that we've sort of curated and you can ignore that but we have curated an optimal route and like a designed experience which is something that breath of the wild really tried to step away from doing it's fine my wife linda's gonna love it <laughs> she's gonna have a great time and i'm thrilled it Runs pretty damn well in an emulator. Just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah, like, from people who have been doing that, it is it is surprising how well, like, how fucking well that apparently I have works. it on very good authority that it runs very well in an emulator. Uh, there's, there's an area that apparently doesn't, but, like, from what I've heard, it there, works like that. I'm well. so jealous you two got review copies. <laughs> so jealous <Yeah. laughs> I got blacklisted for, for being leaky uh, <laughs> there are a few effects that are consistently a little funky um, distant clouds do not render well in the emulator that's about it and then every once in a while like like when I you get a, like something really neat um, and I love that about emulation like when you when you uh, do the animation to bring up the pad the first time and then it does the animation to put the pad away. Link's face gets all fucked up in purple. And it's really <laughs> cool. I wish I'd captured it. <laughs> as, as someone who's playing it actually, like, on, on Switch and being, you know, being sort of behaved, it does run surprisingly well. And this is one thing I'll, like, say up front, uh, particularly once you've got the, uh, the day one patch installed. I am impressed at how well this game handles 
draw distances and loading times for being a seamless open world. Like, once you get the, the training wheels taken off, you can just be on an island in the sky and skydive down to Hyrule and then paraglide a huge distance across and then go enter a camp of things to fight. And, like, there's less popping to my eye than Breath of the Wild had. It runs pretty solidly at 30 FPS. It has increased the scope of what it's trying to show the player and load in compared to Breath of the Wild and seemingly runs no worse, which is like, that's impressive. I'll give them that. Yeah, I think they, I, from what I've seen, it seems like they've done a good job uh, on a technical level. The gameplay, as I say, it doesn't feel that different from Breath of the Wild, um, by which I mean at all at the point that I'm at, which, yeah, if, if you're, you're into that, the weapon durability thing still is a personal just annoyance. Yeah, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts to get into here, and some of them particularly are around the way that Tears of the Kingdom looks at things that were complaints for some people about Breath of the Wild that it doesn't get rid of, but attempts to address in ways that are going to be divisive mm. for people. Mm. And I know there are going to be people who are going to go, I see that you've given me a solution to mitigate some of the frustration with this thing, but I just want that thing to be gone. Right. And that is going to be a dividing line, and I, I can see that already. I'm not even that angry or upset. It doesn't like it doesn't actually bother me. It doesn't it it's part of the experience. I and I'm I, capable of saying I don't want that experience <laughs> and yeah. moving I, on with my life. Yeah, that's fair. Like I I'll talk about some stuff because you've stopped earlier than getting what I think is the big mechanic that changes how weapon durability feels pacing wise mm. which is the new fusability which is to be fair i've yeah. also not reached a point where weapon durability is a, that much of a bother or concern you know yeah. it's uh it's present i'm conscious of it yeah. that's it yeah so I'll, I'll talk a bit about the, the 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 fuse system and how that interacts with weapon durability and then i'll get a bit more broadly into my thoughts having played like enough of this to have a feel of all of its components and sort of how they're fitting together Weapon durability is addressed in Tears of the Kingdom largely not by removing it as a mechanic, but by changing the way that the game treats weapons as unique, irreplaceable things versus disposable. There is this mechanic called Fuse, which lets you connect basically any object in the world within reason onto a shield, a sword, or your arrows. With arrows, it's fairly, it's, it's fairly easy to understand, you equip, say, a fire choo-choo onto an arrow, now it's a fire arrow. You attach a sort of spiky blade-looking thing on your arrow, it does more damage. Different things have different abilities, but it's like little modifiers. Where it's more interesting in terms of like the durability conversation is weapons. Tears of the Kingdom largely does away with unique, one-of-a-kind weapons, and tries to make the system a lot more about experimentation with disposable weird amalgams that you are playing around with. You will get a lot of, like, fairly generic bases of weapons, like a big stick that's a two-handed weapon, or uh, a sword hilt, or something like that. Generic weapon, and what makes them interesting and unique is what you choose to dig out of your inventory and stick onto them, which will change the effects that weapons have, but also refresh their durability and extend their durability. Weapons, once fused with things, will tend to last longer, but if a thing breaks, 
you can get the same effect by sticking the same thing on something new, generally. And the best way I can explain my preference for how Tears of the Kingdom does this, and it's not going to be enough to make everyone like this system, is in Breath of the Wild, when you had a cool, unique weapon and it broke, that was just a negative. That was just, I don't have that thing anymore. Whereas here, you now have an extra inventory slot open in your pockets to go, cool, this is an opportunity for me to wedge two new things together I've not tried wedging together and go, does putting meat on a magic wand make it do meat magic? I don't know. Let's find out. As someone who's often been meat on the end of a magic wand, I can confirm it does a lot of good things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 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 But like, yeah, the system is like varied enough in its outputs that those weird... And again, part of this is just, I have ADHD and I love the thought of like, is meat on a wand gonna make me meat magic? I want to follow the weird trains of thought I have, and weapons breaking opens up slots to try new weird amalgams. And that does offset some of the the situation, and moving away from having this is your, you know, weapon you got from beating a boss and this NPC gave you and it's the only one you're gonna get, moving away from that definitely gets rid of some of the paralysis of, of oh, I don't want to use my best thing, but there is still some of that. Because these weapons are degrading, there is still a degree of I don't want to use my best thing right now. And that is inevitable with yeah, the system. Yeah, there's... Because um, my my sort of... I hear I hear what you're saying, and I do like the yeah. elimination of unique weapons as a breakable, durability-related thing. Have you ever played Dark Chronicle or Dark Cloud? I don't think so. The name's not ringing about. the old uh, PS2 game, isn't it? Yeah, PS2 game. It also had weapon durability. Mm. The thing was, you improved your weapons over time, and so you were making investment in the weapons. And then when they broke because of your inattention and you lost them forever, (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. Right? And they addressed this in the sequel, that weapons would break, and when they broke, they did like insignificant damage they could still be used but they did insignificant damage until you repaired them with a consumable Mm. and the reason i i bring this up is i think that there is that middle ground that you can address and still you know have the unique weapons and make them not breakable i agree with you and i think that breath of the wild like just talking about that first game did try and have that middle ground sort of with the Master Sword, and right. they just didn't apply it across the board as a concept. The other thing about what you describe is, yeah, I'm. what happens when I find the thing I really like? Well, the thing I will say is that if you find the thing you really like, the chances are it is a really easily farmable thing to have pockets full of if you just want to have pockets full of that weapon. Yeah, as long as they can keep the accessibility to the resources to reproduce it, it's an inconvenience, but it's not a deal breaker. That is one thing I think they have done here, which is that most of the things you are like going to be using as your like weapon combination parts are dropped by enemies. Basically, every enemy you defeat will drop some kind of horn that is essentially a thing you stick on the end of the weapon as your modifier to give it a damage type or the uh, attack pattern type that you're looking for. So if you find one that you like, go find a bunch of that enemy and you can have pockets full of the thing ready to keep making more of that weapon if that's 
what you want pockets full of. It is much easier to have pockets full of the one weapon you like here because of the way that they are purely combine these common things into the way you want them combined. Mm -hmm. It is an inconvenience, but it is easier to have just the thing you like over and over if that's what you want to do. Well, that sounds like an improvement at the very least. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not going to be enough for, for everyone to enjoy it, but I think it is an attempt to mitigate some of the things that were frustrating about weapon durability while not getting rid of weapon durability, and that's going to be to everyone's personal tastes. Um, yeah. But yeah, to, to talk a bit more like broadly about how I'm feeling about Tears of the Kingdom, uh, a few a few things that are worth knowing. We've had Zelda games in the past that are like kind of sequels to other Zelda games, like A Link Between Worlds, um, uh, Phantom Hourglass on the DS. This is the most like this is a this is just a straight up sequel that a Zelda game has ever been. If they had called this Breath of the Wild 2, I'd have gone, yeah, no, that makes sense. This is just a capital S sequel. It really does go in assuming that you have played Breath of the Wild and that you know who all the characters are and what all the places are, because characters will recognise you and the state of the world will have changed since you played Breath of the Wild and a lot of the impact expects you to have a degree of knowledge of what was so that, you know, you understand what is now. As I sort of alluded to, the game is also, like, a lot more full of linear environments that are designed to be played in a specific order with, like, authored design to them. That's not to say that the Breath of the Wild formula isn't still there. Once you get past the opening island, you are dropped in a big world full of towers and shrines and in theory can go wherever you want and the game's not going to stop you. But I think the way I would talk about how this is like kind of fundamentally different in its approach is, you know in Breath of the Wild you finish the Great Plateau and you are just given an objective marker that's like, there's Ganon, he's flying around that tower. Here's an objective marker that tells you exactly where to go to beat the final boss, it's just right there. And was very like clear about, you can do whatever the fuck you want, we're not going to guide you. This is a lot more hands-on. The game has somewhat closer to traditional dungeons dotted around its world, that it has sort of an intended order that you should probably be approaching them. As far as I can tell, you could just go straight to the final boss if you knew where it was, probably, but the game isn't putting a big glowing marker going, this is where the final boss is, go, you can go fight them. It feels like it's trying to be a compromise between Breath of the Wild and little pieces of that older 3D Zelda formula. Like, it feels like it is trying to bring some of those elements back in to appease people who went, sure, Breath of the Wild is fun, it's not what I love about Zelda as a series. And it does that to varying degrees, and people are going to have really mixed opinions about whether they like this or not, I think. I'm going to talk in, in vague terms about dungeons, because I think this is a big one that a lot of people have questions about and that people are curious about. Um, Breath of the Wild had the Divine Beasts, which were in essence your Zelda dungeons, but they were all aesthetically very similar. Uh, they were all largely a single room that you manipulate, and a boss you fight at the end that does have different unique attack patterns, but was a different elemental type of his Blight Ganon again, but this time he's fire. A lot of those complaints are addressed here. Your dungeons are considerably larger, more sprawling environments that are aesthetically different from each other, that 
have more lead up, that have unique bosses that feel distinct and different from each other. There is some of that old Zelda dungeon style of here is an ability that will help you do the dungeon that you will have afterwards that will sort of feel like you unlocked something by doing the dungeon. Uh, there, There is more of that. Uh, it is definitely, if, if you look at just the dungeon by itself, it's not going to feel as grand or deliberately sort of designed and authored as some past 3D Zelda dungeons. But I think that maybe does them a disservice to look at just the dungeon by itself, because the way that Tears of the Kingdom approaches dungeons is somewhat similar to something like Skyward Sword, where the environment you traversed through to get to the dungeon was designed like a dungeon, in terms of having environmental puzzles to navigate, NPCs to interact with, combat to do, that sort of built your anticipation and built your way to the dungeon proper. Tears of the Kingdom has a similar approach, and if you take that section into account as part of the dungeon, I think these do stand up well as Zelda dungeons. In terms of like other common issues with Breath of the Wild, one of my things I wish was different about Breath of the Wild was the way that that game handled its narrative. Breath of the Wild spends a lot of its time telling a story that took place a hundred years ago that you don't get to be a part of. It spends a lot of its time building character interaction building up rapport between Link and a bunch of champions who died a hundred years ago that you don't get to meet. And it does so at the expense of its modern day champions, who are the people you're meeting and actually interacted with. You don't get nearly the same level of character development between Link and those characters. Tears of the Kingdom definitely addresses that. It is much more concerned with telling a story that is happening now, in the moment, with the characters who are around you and building those relationships with characters who are actually alive and here and being part of the story, which it's a low bar to get above, but it is definitely an improvement. I am impressed with how much they have managed to make revisiting this version of Hyrule feel unique. One of my biggest concerns about Tears of the Kingdom, as someone that really, really bloody enjoyed my first playthrough of Breath of the Wild, but had no desire to replay it for a very long time, was that a lot of the magic of that first Breath of the Wild playthrough came from discovery of a world that I had no idea what was going to be around, you know, each new corner. And I worried, going and having another game set in that same, essentially same overworld map, is that magic going to be recapturable? And I think so. They've done a really good job of, in absence of having to make an entirely new overworld and setting, packing a lot of changes and a lot of new content into this world that make it feel like there is still discovery to be had in that same space. One of the biggest ways this is done is that Breath of the Wild had a lot of small side quests that were like single objective, fairly minimal reward things dotted around the map. With the exception of maybe the quest for Tarrytown, where you build up this little community, going and finding little NPCs around the world to build up this little town, most of them were very simple. Tears of the Kingdom has a lot more substantial side quests that feel narratively and mechanically worthwhile and worth digging into. Tears of the Kingdom differentiates between side quests and what it calls side adventures, with side adventures being multi-stage, lengthy quests that are probably much more involved in, like, little storylines of their own that have clear 
desirable rewards presented in front of you, usually near the start of the quest, so you know what you're working towards, that will, you know, much like the Tarrytown quest, take you dotting around the map, doing things that feel part of a big, grand mission. That really helps to make it feel like there is a lot more to do within the world, and helps helps its pacing a lot. There's a lot of things in this game that I think Nintendo has done a good job of, like, underplaying quite how much new there is in here. They've shown off, like, the fact there's islands in the sky in trailers, and that is surprisingly, like, not a huge amount of the game. It is not as big a part of the game as, like, trailers would sort of suggest. There's a whole underground section that has its own quite ambitious mechanics that you have to wrestle with, that require you to, like, really prepare for excursions and, like, not go in without knowing what you're doing. There are whole avenues of this game that are bigger in scope and in terms of the variety of what they offer than I was prepared for. As someone that really enjoyed Breath of the Wild with caveats and is a big fan of, like, my favourite Zelda games, like, you know, historically are things like Majora's Mask, Skyward Sword, for all their problems, fairly, like, narrative-heavy, dungeon-centric 3D Zeldas. This does a lot to bring the Breath of the Wild formula more in line with what I traditionally like about Zelda games. That said, there are things about this that are going to be divisive. For people who really fucking loved that Breath of the Wild was just completely hands-off, go do whatever the hell you want, where, like, no training wheels, just, just get up and go, this is definitely trying to steer you more and trying to lead you to more linear things, and, you know, some people are not going to like that. For people who were hoping it would go more back towards traditional Zelda, they might be a little disappointed that it hasn't gone more in that direction. There are other things like weapon durability that people disliked that this game doesn't remove, but offers you solutions to, and I know for some people that's going to be frustrating. Uh, an example is climbing up cliffs in the rain. You now have tools like being able to, you know, if you find a cave in a mountain, ascend up to the top rather than climbing the wet wall, or you can find certain ingredients to make a potion or give you sticky fingers so you can climb up the wall without slipping. I don't need a potion for that. Oh, you just got your own sticky fingers, do yeah, you? Yeah, haven't said anything in a while, so I thought I'd reference come. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're gonna chime in, come's the way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I know there are some people who are just gonna go, I wish I didn't slip down rock walls in the first place rather than you giving me a solution to get around it. But, like, I think it addresses in one way or another a lot of the things that people had trouble with in... Breath of the Wild. I think that for most people, they will go, whether I think this is amazing or not, it is probably an improvement on what Breath of the Wild was trying to be. It's Breath of the Wild with more. Whether that is enough to fundamentally change how someone feels about this game, if you really didn't like Breath of the Wild, this isn't going to change your mind. It may not swing the barometer hugely, but I think it is a step forward for this formula that does show they can make more games like this and have more tricks up their sleeve than just this is more stuff in Breath of the Wild. I'm really digging it. I am impressed at how much there is in there that I am surprised by and excited about, and I can't wait for other people to be picking this up and to this to be something that a lot of people are organically exploring, but it's gonna be divisive in some ways, and I'm enjoying it, but it's not gonna be 
universally for everyone. There you go, I waffled on a bit there. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm just bracing for impact when I uh, play it and review it. I, the level of hype that people <laughs> who both like and don't like me have uh, had for that uh, upcoming review is... Uh, just the slightest bit intimidating. I think there are going to be some people who are going to play this and see the ways in which it is similar to the previous game and are probably going to come around to your view, but I think there are people who this is going to further entrench them in disagreeing with you. It's going to split people, this one, but I really love it. I'm glad you do. Yeah. It's always good when someone can enjoy a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steph, what have you been playing this week? You've not talked about anything yet, really. Well, while you while you've been playing Tears of the Wild or whatever it is, you kids call those <laughs> little computer games. I've actually been playing a game that uh, everyone's been talking about. One of the biggest, most anticipated games of all time. Really, sort of eclipses that cute little uh, fairy game that you play. So Redfall, right? <laughs> is yeah. I'll say this much. It's the least controversial 3 out of 10 I've ever given a mainstream <laughs> game. No one's pushing back. It's... No, they're not. It is the game I'm going to refer to now for the rest of my career whenever someone does a negative review and a bunch of people defending the game say, oh, you didn't beat the game. You've got to beat the game. Right? <sighs> Last week... I'd played it for a couple of hours and I talked about how mundane and mediocre it was. The more I played this, the (sighs) more I resented it, the more I despised it. It started mediocre and went so downhill to the point where mundanity was an aspiration. (laughs) Can I tell you a little anecdote very quickly about this game? I watched a little bit of a sponsored Twitch stream for this game in which people had been, like, paid to play it and were still ripping the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of game where, like, even being paid money to play it isn't enough to go, yeah, I gotta acknowledge what's happening here. Yeah. <laughs> you can't gaslight someone into thinking it's good. One look at it and you know it's bad. You just feel it. It's the closest to objectively bad. A subjective piece of sorry, I was going to say art, shit has ever been. The ways in which this game fails are astounding. I feel privileged to have experienced a game with artificial intelligence this bad. This stunningly, remarkably, it's, it's a red letter day for shit AI. I watched as there was some infighting between enemies, uh, an enemy soldier and an enemy vampire. The vampire was stood there looking at a wall, just staring at the wall in a garage, while a soldier with a sniper rifle stood across the parking lot, the small, like in a backyard parking lot area, and fired shot after shot and hit every part of that wall. You know that scene in Pulp Fiction where the guy opens fire on Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta and then they look behind themselves and it's just like bullet holes everywhere. I sat and watched that happen. 
only a lot slower and and less uh, action packed as the guy just popped off shot after shot and missed and the vampire for their part didn't react at all just stood there staring at the wall as it filled with bullet holes it's incredible the enemies have no object permanence if they're chasing you and you run round the corner they stop and go where are you They'll vocally talk about how they can't find you a second after you just turn the corner. No object permanent. I have had instances where I have shot a guy's head off while he was stood next to his friend and his friend no-sold it. Just, just didn't register it. The stupidity is off the charts i can't give you enough examples and explain them in enough detail to get across how fucking stupid the enemies are they're about as stupid as the game's litany of bugs because i've played some more broken games this game is fucking broken but i've played like real dumpster fires and it's not even that there are loads of bugs which there are it's that the bugs that are there are the stupidest ones I've seen. They're so dumb. I, the game forgets the crouch button. It forgets what the B button does on the Xbox controller, and you can't crouch anymore. You can't duck. Well, see, that's better than when you crouch, and that forces you to fall into the floor halfway, and unless you're playing the character with the magic elevator that flies back up, you're just stuck in the wall. But if you got the elevator, that can that can get you out of the floor, thankfully. The elevator that um, she summons to reach higher places. And rather than, like, get in it, you bounce on top of it because it's just a shitty bounce pad. Because getting into a ghostly elevator to reach somewhere high would have been interesting and fun and unique and cool. That had potential. But like I said in the review on the thegymquisition.com, Redfall is where potential goes to die. It has no potential because it is a minimum viable product. We talked last week about how that game is just a video game as video game. Like, it, it's just nothing. It's just mundanity does the absolute barest minimum. And that is reflected in the entire experience. The loot. Just the same handful of guns that progress in strength in a linear fashion. The maps that are just full, like, scattershot containers that have these guns in. The reuse of enemy character models is a big sticking point for me. I have been in a situation where I'm fighting four vampires at once, and they're all using the same character model. It's just the same four vampires. The same character models that are used for fucking bosses. Come on! There are, like, underbosses that you've got to fight, and a bunch of, like, elite-named vampires, and they're just using the same models. There's a church you go to, and there's documents all around that build up this, uh, like, the pastor of that church. And it, you know, you're like, well, clearly this guy's turned, I'm gonna find him and, and, and fight him, which you do, is in the attic, and he's just, like, the same generic goth-looking vampire in a leather jacket as all of the goth-looking vampires in leather jackets. A pastor of, of, of a church. They didn't even stick a little bit of white tape on his collar for be a priest. The only difference between 99% of the bosses and the rank-and-file mooks 
is that they'll have a name above their head instead of the word vampire. They made a character that is a preacher, so they, they, they designed clothing for her. They didn't use it, Conrad. Why would they? <laughs> that, that would require a level of investment that clearly wasn't financially there, clearly couldn't have been there from a, a calendar perspective. Arcane's better than this, way better than this. Now, granted, the publisher is Bethesda, and they're not better than this at, at all. And if I were to put the blame anywhere, if I were to hazard a guess, I would say it's the studio that once gave Obsidian a year to work with a new engine for Fallout New Vegas, and then doctor their pay uh, because of uh, the Metacritic score. I'd, I'd put that on Bethesda's shoulders, but even so... If I were involved in this game, I would be embarrassed. I would be... It's a skeletal embarrassment. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I call it a minimum viable product, when I compare it to those products on the market that do just enough to be able to legally say they are what they are and then go no further than that. It's got the barest, barest bones of a loot-based shooter in that it has shooting and a smattering of guns that are presented in just the right way that you could say they were loot. And the rest of it is just bugs and repetition. Repetition of content, repetition of missions, repetition of assets. Like, it's, it's not just the vampires and, and everything. Everything in this game is just a handful of assets reused. I used a term for Dynasty Warriors 9 when it did this. Autoerotic asset flipsiation. And, and I think the term applies here as well. It is just, like, flipping its own assets. It's shocking. And I feel privileged to have played it. Thank you. It sure is an experience, and uh, well done for playing more than the minimum viable amount of game. We appreciate your sacrifice. I'm glad I, I stopped when I did. I'm I'm I agreed. Yep. yep. Thank you for reassuring me in that choice. You literally miss nothing, Conrad. Like, if you've played it for an hour, you've played it for twenty. You know. Oh God. It's, it's just the same thing. It's a horrifying thought. Like. What if I actually had played it for 20? Uh, then you'd be, well, just as sad as I am on a daily basis, sir. Just quickly, I need to remember this one because it's a doozy. When you complete a mission, there's no guarantee that the on-screen map marker above the quest giver's head or the markers on the map will disappear oh. once it's been completed. Oh. Towards the end, I wasn't sure at a glance where on the map to go because it had yellow circles that had long become obsolete and they just hadn't gone away also i once cleared out a vampire nest uh, this game's equivalent to like the most linear and shitty raids you could imagine and when it kicked me out of the vampire nest it spawned me in the middle of a car <laughs> just the parked cars that act as loot containers oh. i was waist deep in the trunk of this car and couldn't get out Ju couldn't jump, couldn't run, couldn't crouch. Um, you know, thank God the game's got a fast travel. It was the only way I got out. It wasn't a mistake. The game itself thought, where's the best place to put this bitch? <laughs> Here you go, Steph. Have fun with that. 
Like, I am... Um, it's not quite as baffling as the last Oracrew from last year, but it's so far this year's achievement in ineptitude. It, it's a hallmark of, of, of awfulness. It's toilet treacle. Ultimately, it's toilet treacle. Wow. Ah, <sighs> Conrad, you played anything else this week? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I played Breath Edge. Of the Wild? TM? <laughs> it's a first-person game where you are... I, I'm not sure. I think you m- might have been, like, a passenger or... Because I don't know what your role on this ship was, but you're on a ship that's carrying coffins back to, you know, with corpses back to be buried in the future. And uh, the ship gets destroyed in an asteroid field, and it'll be 4,000 years before help will arrive unless you can help yourself. And it's it's a crafting game, mostly. You have a little capsule that is your base of operations and there is a crafting bench in it and you go out into space and retrieve resources and then bring them back before you run out of oxygen and make things that lead to tools to extract other resources to make more complicated things that you can then improve how long you can be out in space because you've got a bigger oxygen tank and you know construct other means to extend the amount of time that you can be out there gathering things and it has a sense of humor one that it warns you about in disclaimer at the beginning of the game without getting into any specifics as to what i should be concerned about (laughs) running into so far it's pretty tame it's a little relentless I wish it wasn't trying so hard to insert content because it kind of takes away from the, oh shit, I'm floating out in space with coffins effect that could be pretty powerful if I wasn't constantly being joked at. So far it's inoffensive to me, um, but I'm, you know, still only a couple hours in, but it's, it's interesting Oh, oh, I guess I maybe I should have led with this. You have an immortal chicken. Uh, uh-huh. I'm in. Yeah, you you definitely should have led with that. Yeah, you've got us both now. Yeah. You have an immortal chicken. Um Okay, yeah, no, fuck it. I'm putting tears of the kingdom down. I need to know about this immortal chicken. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you don't have something equipped and you interact with something in the world beyond like simply picking it up. Like, if that's possible for you to do, you're probably using this chicken in some fashion. One of the very, very first, and I won't say more, but one of the very first interactions you can engage with, you will discover this truth about the game. That the chicken is just sort of a catch-all, like, we needed something, we'll use the chicken for this. And it is, it's almost always comical, and... I really like the immortal chicken. It would not be funny were the chicken not immortal. It would not be as functional were the chicken not immortal. That one bit of it is so goofy and fun that I want to see more applications of the chicken come up, and I'm going to continue to play the game to see them. That's a really good hook. There's a fair bit of, of lore 
a lot of it in items that you find littered around the place and you can pick them up and it there's there's a, a setting here and I'm interested in it I'm interested in some of the details of the character that I'm I'm playing um I'm really curious to find out what it is that's trying so desperately to kill me with a pair of boobs it's a strange game and I I I kind of I kind of like it doesn't seem to be any combat but you get, you know, like a little basher thing to break things open and then you'll get uh, big shears to cut panels of fabric and rubber and, and it just sort of goes on. It's just a little crafting game with a goofy premise and draining meters. It has some draining meters. Obviously, oxygen's been mentioned. There's also food and water that has to be attended to. It's plentiful, at least at the point that I'm at. Like, I can't imagine running out. Neat game. Oh, it. If you play it on PC, really give it some time to compile. It does not like to give you the impression that it's loaded. I had this game for a week, tried, you know, on multiple occasions to play it. Could not, you know, just trying to figure out what the fuck the problem was. You really just have to wait a long time, and it doesn't give you any impression that you're waiting for something to happen. Um, that, that warning aside, pretty fun little game. I mean, it sounds, sounds really interesting. Yeah. Oh, the the control is very loose, I would say. You move swiftly in 3D space in this game because, you know, there's no friction and you just move faster than I than I think people might expect. Like it's jarring once you get out there and you're like, "Oh shit, I'm drifting way faster." And then controlling that with the camera, it takes some getting used to. It might be a lot easier with keyboard and mouse, but I'm not willing to do that. So, um, that's where we are, but yeah, it's it's worth checking out. It's fun. Uh, what are you, Steph? What else have you been playing this week? Uh, well, I'll, I guess I'll go quickly because uh, we have spent quite a bit of time today. I'm still carrying on with the pixel remasters of uh, Final Fantasy one through six, so I'm on Final Fantasy two now, and so I'm still in like the early weird phase of the game of the series. I I didn't play like the first three god i don't even know if any of them were available in europe when i was a kid i know a lot of them weren't but so i'm playing final fantasy 2 for the first time and it's oh it's it i was baffled at first like you've got these three characters and they don't have classes there's there's clearly some stat differences but you just are dropped in and there's a basic plot with an emperor being all like, I'm evil and that. And then you got these three characters and access to a shop with weapons in it. And the game's like, okay, uh, fill your boots. Um, we got shields. We got swords. You've got two hands. There's a dominant hand, but you can you can dual wield, or you can double hand it, or you can just fight with your fists. It's all viable. Uh, do you want magic? Pick a mage. We don't give a fuck. Do you want all of them to have spells? Do you want just one of them? Do you want a white mage and a black mage? Uh, just go into the magic shop and buy the spells, and then give them to the characters. And I'm here confused by the freedom. Because I'm not used to that level of it in Final Fantasy. Um, so I just kind of blue screened. Um, I've gotten into a groove of it now. I've kind of picked 
uh, how I want each character to play. But the versatility of it is actually pretty impressive, even though some of it is is just obfuscated by its vagueness. You know, I still don't quite... Well, I think I know what, what magic interference as a stat is now, but there's all sorts of, like, from looking it up, because I started doing some reading on it, it's very easy to just fuck yourself over by building these characters wrong. Because there's a bit of an Elder Scrolls thing to it as well, where if you equip certain things or certain things happen in battle, it affects your attributes uh, as as your character gets experience. So if you equip a shield, that raises your character's evasion rate, because shields don't pertain to defense, so it raises their evasion. Uh, if you use white magic, your spirit stat upgrades. If you use black magic, your intelligence stat goes up. Um, every time you use spells, uh, they start to get stronger as well individually. Um, every weapon not only levels up in the same way, like your experience with it. You know, you keep using axes, you'll get better at axes. But then the axes also inform what stats you acquire uh like like raise um it's also the first i don't know if it's the only fight because there's still like three to get through but i haven't seen another final fantasy to date that actually has level caps either um or rather region caps there's only so much you can grind an area before the enemies are too shit to uh give you anything uh but you can hit yourself and and get experience that way. Uh, so if you feel like you need to level up your axe some more, you can just drive it into your own fucking face. So there is that. Um, I'm I'm finding it very interesting and and enjoyable for the most part. But I really don't care for the game's overall progression structure in terms of its campaign. There is so much back and forthing. Um, you. You, there's this little town and you go from that town like across the ocean you go on a ship across the ocean and pick up an item and you've got to bring it back so they can tell you where to go with the item and it's often where you were but you didn't take the ship back because there was an airship a that, that can take you to destinations just one way. Uh, and so you took the airship because it was quicker, but now you've got to go back across the ocean and the ship is on the other side of the ocean. So now you've got to go around the mountains. And and it's so back and forthy. Uh, and the dungeons are amazingly laborious. They're maze-like and there's many rooms. And I don't know if I've entered a single dungeon room that wasn't empty. Just completely empty thank god you can turn off random encounters with these remasters because i would have stopped especially in this one where you are not you reach a ceiling uh by area uh, uh on how much you get out of a fight being able to turn it off for all of the backtracking and back and forthing is is a fucking blessing so yeah uh, still really enjoying going through the Pixel remasters. Uh, I'm finding Final Fantasy II very charming, uh, but there is a lot of early stuff that I'm really glad didn't uh, didn't maintain throughout the series. And that's the end of my, my talk. Thank you. Uh, we got very little in the way of news this week. We got one news story to talk about that uh, I'll, I'll quickly throw out there before we finish. Um, Call of Duty. Call of, Call of Duty. Uh... People playing Call of Duty have been complaining this week that uh, 
the game may have just sold its most egregious pay-to-win DLC bundle ever. And that is, you know, that is saying something for a series that has had more than its fair share of uh, selling DLC that makes it easier for you to win in games. So the Rose and Thorn bundle for the new Call of Duty gives you a new, uh, a new skin, that's fine, a new way to dress up your character, but this skin spawns players at the start of matches with something called a free UAV bonus for the game's DMZ extraction mode. Now what that is, a UAV, an uh, unmanned aerial vehicle, uh, is it is something that will reveal the locations of enemies on the map for 30 seconds. A really useful ability that gives you information yeah. that the opposing team does not have. It, it's, it's, it is one of the fundamental tools that like is deployed in in every successful assault yeah. in this game. It and it is a thing that you can unlock by getting a kill streak. Right. You can get these as a kill streak reward. But this is just like you pay money for this bundle and you get to start the match with this available. Now, they have tried to mitigate this and nerf it slightly, but it's not really nerfed it. The nerf they tried to apply was, well, you've got to wait until 60 seconds into the match before you can use your free UAV. But it still means that 60 seconds into the match, you are for free given information that the other team does not have about the other team's movements. Yeah, wow. It's not really fixing the problem that you are paying real-world money to get a competitive advantage against the other team. Wow. Yeah, right? It comes with a bunch of other stuff that also is helpful, you know, to other degrees, it's stuff that you earn in the game, but like... This is this is the, the 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 big issue is like if a three person team all pays money for like this paid skin, wait sixty seconds, your team has total information on the other team and they have no information about you unless they pay. Basically, a, yeah, unless they pay, you are basically guaranteed a bunch of kills. Like that is, and apparently a lot of people seem to be paying for the bundle, so it's working and. Yeah, mm. fucking cosmetic. This is pay-to-win DLC happening, and the psychological manipulation works. What's well, it's pay to compete? Yeah, it's pay to not lose. It's pay to not get wiped the floor over. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's the only bit of gaming news this week. Is Call of Duty does some real egregious shit to game balance for money, which. Microtransactions are bullshit. Fuck them. Get rid of them. I'm sorry. I know I didn't say much during that, but I was just checking my calendar to see if it was a day ending with a fucking Y. Yeah, it is. Activision did something shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just look. And that's not me being facetious and saying there's no point in talking about it because it's active. I love pointing out that Activision <laughs> Blizzard is shit. Um,. But this kind of stuff is more and more inevitable. This is the company that put microtransactions in a re-release of uh, Modern Warfare. Like, like a remaster of an old game. Uh, and jacked up the price from what it used to cost. Like, like uh, it's, it only gets worse. Yeah, It'll only get I, worse. I'm not surprised that it's happened. Yeah. I'm not surprised it happened, but it's been a while since we've oh, yeah. had a direct, concrete example to point to and go, 
yeah, yeah, it's still happening. It ain't, it ain't gone away and it won't go away and they're going to keep trying yeah. their luck wherever they can. The fact it's this blatant and brazen is very much worth keeping in mind because that does speak of, of a company that really has just thought, you know what, we can, we can just get away, from, uh, get away with this. Like, yeah. so many publishers have tried to defend their microtransactions with, oh, it's it's not pay-to-win, you don't get a gameplay advantage, it's just cosmetic. Um, so, yeah, I'd be, uh, I'd be keeping an eye on the industry. Um, if Activision has just said, fuck it, let's drop the pretense. That is worth keeping in mind. Yeah. But I'll tell you uh, what else is worth keeping in mind. What, what else is worth keeping in mind? Your content, Ooh, Laura. Mine? Yeah. Oh. Do you want to know about it? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I was, like, I was like, I feel like this is a segue, but I should, I should check before I just start going on about me. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Are we done? I yeah, thought I that was the, the point. Yeah, yeah to, no, I, I, was I like, think we are done. I was like, this is the smoothest transition into this I've ever done. And, well, see, here's and, the thing is usually you do a thing like that and you go, where, where can people find you? I, yeah, I was like, oh, no, I'm I, thrown. Yeah, I... <laughs> Oh, we fucked it. We oh, fucked it. Oh, we didn't fuck it. It's great. Uh, but you some people might think, fuck it. I want more content. Where can they get it, Laura? <laughs> Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Uh, I've got a bunch of Tears of the Kingdom stuff going up in the next couple of days. I've got an accessibility review uh, that digs into a bunch of content about, like, the things that have and have not changed about that game uh, accessibility-wise, real disappointment, there is a quest in that game that requires you to follow a source of sound and has no visual alternative. Fuck that game in that regard. Mm. Um, other than that, uh, uh, there's an interview with me and my lovely wife Jane in the new issue of MCV Develop. We got like a lovely four-page spread uh, in there. You can read that digitally online. Super, super happy with that interview. Turned out lovely. Uh, I got a new book coming out October 19th. It's called Stories of Autistic Joy. Uh, information about that can be found if you Google it. What about you, Conrad? Where are you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. And you can buy all sorts of mildly offensive things from me at mercenarycreative.com. And everything that I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon, right? It's James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, oh, hell yeah. Butter my ass. Yes, you can get a Patreon if you want. It is at patreon.com slash jimquisition. Um, I also, again, s- streaming is still really, really spotty at the moment because I've just got a ton of stuff going on uh but it's uh twitch tv slash jim sterling um my next wrestling date is a bloody big one um this friday so tomorrow i guess if you're listening to this when it comes out uh in liverpool um it is effie's big gay brunch um there's gonna be an after party as well and i don't know if i'm going uh yet but i might do it depends how i'm feeling but the show itself, I am there, I will be performing, I will be in combat uh, as Commander Sterling, so do please check that out. Um, I also have a massive um, run of, of dates uh, in June, starting on June 9th, 
Yes, June, no, June 8th um, in Manchester, Sovereign Pro Wrestling. June 9th, somewhere, I need to get the details off of him. Um, my my friend uh, Mark, uh, who does a lot of ring announcing, is hosting an evening with Commander Sterling at a bar. Um, so that's June 9th. I'll get details for that next week. June 10th, I will be in Blackpool for Pride of the Ring 2, uh, where I will be defending the PCW Women's Championship. And then on June 11th, I'll be in Manchester for Sovereign Pro Wrestling, uh, where Commander Sterling has issued an open challenge uh, to prove that they belong there after certain wrestlers told them they don't belong in the industry at all. Um, There's some really good storyline stuff happening there. So those are, that's just a big run uh, of dates. I've got other ones, but we'll leave it at that. Thank you all so much for listening, for supporting, um, and every, every other interaction. Thank you. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.